This podcast is offered by Jikoji Zen Center on the web at jikoji.org. Our programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Well, welcome. It's a joy to be here. Um, it really is. And please let me know anytime you don't hear me, just raise your arm. Okay. Because um, just the last two hours that I've been here, I noticed just waves of joy and love come through me. Like watching, first of all, the beautiful, thoughtful layout of the land that changed again since the last time I was here. And then uh, all the service and the love that I see and the care for you, you and each other. So, and I'm just so reminded of uh, the founder of this place, like Kuban Shinoroshi, who I had the fortune to meet myself, very strongly emphasized love and kindness. And it was one of his major teachings. Like all the last two hours, I felt his presence so strongly and I had the sense of like, just kind of the sense of like, I think I really understand why he emphasized it so much. And I want to be personal about that. Um, so there's really beautiful stories about Kobun that have been collected in books uh, of students sharing their encounter that really touched them. And um, many of these were really about acceptance, you know, accepting oneself and accepting a situation. And we hear it, and of course we know it's true. We, we know it when it happens. Uh, we know all about oxytocin, you know, we know all about the cuddle hormone, we know about ochas, if you study Ayurveda, that kind of the sense of love and care that you can physically feel and how much that helps you to learn. Like as a child, you really need love in order to learn and to grow, to go through the difficult steps of, you know, making a new discovery about yourself, making a new learning step about yourself, like learning to, um, learning to walk. Like it's one of the hardest things, getting upright, going to walk. And we cheer them on, those little ones, right? It's just, we need it, we need it. And, um, and that's what connects groups, that's what connects us, we like go for that. And, um, and I just really thought about it this morning of how much that love has a spiritual function, like the very plain function of like, um, if you love this in yourself, then you burn through your old habits. For example, this morning, <laughs> I'm a pretty um, impatient, restless person myself. And one of the hardest things are for me are slow kinhin lines. It's just like, <laughs> that's just really hard, you know. I could run away if a kinhin is getting too slow and I'm getting too close, and it's just really, really hard. But somehow this morning, because I just felt this love that was happening here in this room, I just, it didn't matter. It was just, I was so happy. And I ha didn't have the concept of being stuck or the concept of being plucked or all these habits. It was just, it wasn't even there. I mean, I knew it when I could recognize it in others too, <laughs> but I like, it didn't matter. Like love can kind of evaporate, kind of like evaporate old habits. And that's the power of, of love. And I think that's where I want to pay homage to this founder of this place who really brought this teaching and this place to so Michael has really carried that teaching forward and enlivened it. And so we get to celebrate it here today. And it's just really, really wonderful. I'm really touched, touched about that, that importance of that. And I want to name that. 
No, try not to light him. Okay. Feel free to come forward. You can sit here if you want. Yeah. No, you can bring your chair here if you want. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's happening. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. So just to recap, I'm just really grateful to be here and feeling the love and importance of love that helps us change and that's what it can help each other. So love. And I think in many ways we need love to really open up to the Buddha's teaching. I think Shakyamuni Buddha, the founder of Buddhism in one way or another, if you want to use that word, um, it's just this incredible being that has handed out teachings to us that are very relevant to today, that just seem to really transcend time and circumstance. Um, in fact, that's what they are, they're transcending time and space. So they're very universal teachings. And uh, so we are here in a Dharma discussion. Uh, it's a conditioned event. Any of you are welcome to participate. Um, so just bring forward a question concern as we launch into it. And the topic uh, I want to bring up is a teaching from the Diamond Sutra. Um, so, first of all, clarifying, it's talking about conditioned events, the teaching, and this is like a conditioned event right now. I heard there are people here from Santa Barbara. Is that right? Raise your arm. A whole bunch of them. Yay. And then there are people here first time. First timers? Yeah? All right, welcome. And then people living here. <laughs> and then people have come regularly. Yeah. So. We are all on different path. That's what's called a constellated event, a compounded circumstance, like many different compounds, many different parts. And you, uh, we can see more of those, yeah, like a hand, right? We say it's a hand, but actually what is a hand? If you try to point at the hand, um, is it just the finger? No, it's not just the finger. The hand is not the finger. Is this a hand? No, just that's just little piece of flesh. So what is a hand, right? So a hand is like an overarching term for a compounded thing. Same for cars, same for um, houses, same for people. So we have com these compounded things. So, and the teaching um, of the Buddha is so beautiful and poetic, is like shooting stars, like candlelight, like tricks of the eye, like dew, illusions, bubble of water, like dreams, like lightning, and like clouds. Such are conditioned phenomena. Say it again. Like shooting stars, like candlelight, like tricks of the eye, like dew, illusions, and bubble of water, like dream, like lightning, and like clouds. Such are conditioned phenomena. And I think it's worth it to just go through each one of them because we have them in our life all the time. Um, shooting star, 
shooting star is a pointer of the Buddha, I think, to the fact, and one of his main teachings is, we all flash momentarily in and out of existence, so to speak, if you want to go with Abhidhamic teachings. So it's a, life is kind of a flash. It's kind of this flashing thing. And most of the time you don't notice it because it's so subtle that um, they were kind of saying 17 of those flashes in the Abhidhamma Kusha is like one second or something like that. So it's kind of like many, many of these flashes are already like making one moment, you know. So um, in and out it goes, you know, arising and ceasing. Nothing is really solid and stable from one moment to the other. It rises and ceases. So shooting star is a beautiful image for that, you know. Like, oh, there it was, you know. It's just like this flash in and out of, you know, what we now can tell different stories. It's this piece of dust that goes through this hemisphere. You know, they can talk many stories, but it's still the effect is the same. There it was and it's gone, just like this effect. Candlelight. How, is, how are conditioned things like candlelight? I think candlelight very much is showing us um, our circumstances. Like right now, there's not much wind going on. The candle can be really stable. But it's very much dependent on fuel. If it runs out of fuel or it wax guts in there, then it, it dies out. So it's a very conditioned candle, very fragile, actually. Little creature, this candlelight. So it's a, yeah, conditioned phenomena are very fragile. <laughs> like, we are pretty fragile. We're, we're down to one decimal, right? 98.2. Right? Say <laughs> like a little bit too hot, we get uncomfortable. A little bit too cold, we get uncomfortable. Like we are that vulnerable, just, you know, 98.2. Um, tricks of the eye. Tricks of the eye, like rainbow, you know, if you feel the rain and the sun and you go out, you go look, if you're in the right angle, you see the beautiful rainbow. Tricks on the eye could also be um, you have a cataract disease or, or, or some kind of. Um, Chandas or something where you, for example, chandas, you see things suddenly yellow, like you really think, oh no, this is yellow, but it actually it's white. You know, so tricks of the eye can be either from yourself, from your side, from the eye being either clouded or distorted, uh, or your vision is off, or um, something you, the condition outside of you, you know, gets that water on the road going, or the mirage in the desert. So tricks of the eyes. So does this mean the Buddha saying, oh, all conditioned phenomena is just based on our conception? In many ways, I think a lot of scientists have talked about how, you know, people imagining their own illness or death actually leads them there. Like the power of the mind has been, you know, explored and proven in many ways of how our perception can change our reality. And I was wondering about that, for example, like, in the past, um, from old age, you, people were saying, like, if you sneeze, or oh, make a wish, or you see a shooting star, or oh, make a wish. Like, this invitation of making a wish comes actually quite a bit. And maybe I was wondering, maybe it comes so often because it's powerful to wish something. Like, if you take any opportunity to wish something for yourself or for others, that's really helpful. <laughs> it's helping you and helping the people around you to just keep wishing and having aspirations. So just that on a side note, uh, we were talking about tricks of the eyes. And then like do, um, 
how our conditioned phenomena like do. I think in many ways we experience that in um, the knowledge, you know, of how fast we like develop right now. Um, for example, today you think, oh, this is definitely like this, you know. Um, and then somebody comes along and explains to you, and it's different. The old Buddhist example is, this is a snake. There's a snake, you see it dark, there's a thing on the road, looks like a snake, you're scared. And then you put a little light on, and I'm like, no, it's a rope, you know, of how like our mind can like, switch around. Um, and in that way, you might have many things, like today you think, you know, um, I don't know, Sacramento is north, and then you come along like, no, there's no, it's actually more northeast. So it's kind of, you know, how we change our perception based on our experience once we explore more and put more uh, investigation into it, the more we like can shift our perception. That's how kind of the effect of dew comes along, you know, dew is like all wet on the ground and then sun comes up and whoosh, it evaporates. And kind of our knowledge seems to be these days like that. Today we have one idea, tomorrow, oops, what's different? I pause here before I go through the other um, examples. Anything that has come up for you so far, just hearing those examples? This is conditioned phenomena of existence, yeah? I used to um, have this practice where if I could catch a falling leaf as a Yeah, no, I understand. And I think many um, activities that we have are like kind of just on the double edge. Like, I really want to help you, I really want to help you. And then, oh, but I actually also want to help you because I feel better if you change or something, you know. <laughs> so it's kind of like sometimes really good to really look at. But is it one thing or the other? Like, I think that's maybe where the reminder of the constant change is important, even there don't stop, you know, if you say, oh wow, now I'm greedy for wishes, I don't think that's good, well, next time, just explore how much percent of your creed is it, is it 6%, 60% or 80%, you know, and then just keep watching, you know, is it really always that dominant, maybe sometimes only 40%, you know, I mean, it changes too, it's not just like a static thing. Anything else that just came up just from sharing so far? Yeah. Well, I was thinking um, every once in a while, uh, like the tricks of the eye could almost be um, like a hallucination or something, like something that could be there and then it's not there, like the snake you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, it definitely points at our perception of how powerful our perception is and how often we, you know, um, like feel so assured, like, um, like if you suddenly look for your keys or your, you know, or your purse or something and you're like, I was so sure I had it on the table and now I'm going there and it's not there and what happened, you know, things like that, where you like, where you had this reality. And sometimes I look at even simple situations like that where I was like, 
But I really needed to be sure because I had to pay attention to all these other things, <laughs> you know, which we call forgetfulness just basically means, well, you had to pay attention to many other things. That's why some things just light off the table. You know, it's just our perception is focused. We have a very focused perception. And, um, and how much we need it. Like sometimes we just need it, a certain perception or a certain understanding of reality. In the past, I was, for example, a very fundamentalist Christian, like in my teenage age, and was you know going around talking with people about Jesus, and it was really important. But it was important to me because I was in my teenage age, and I was like emotionally really you know unraveling, and it was so helpful to have something to hold on to. But then you know I let that go. You know, like we, sometimes we need beliefs for a while till they stabilize us, and then over time, like. No, we don't need it. We can still be grateful for it in some way or another. Oh, wow, I really learned something through it. But then we let it go. So sometimes, yeah, our perceptions and our knowledge and our... Yeah, yeah I just guess I'm, I'm taking that interchangeably, but we can also differentiate more between what we know and what we perceive. But, you know, they're pretty close sometimes. I think perceptions, yes, you're right, it has a lot to do with... Um, the circumstances and is there a rope there or is it a snake and then we have to investigate yeah tricks of the eye yeah I was thinking about the dewdrop and the fact that um, you can see yourself in the reflection mm -hmm. but if you shift you can see everything else you shift again you can see everything else it goes on and on like that totally I like that a lot. And isn't that true of how much we reflect each other, you know? How much we actually see most, th that which we know we see the most. That's what stands out because we know it, right? But that's why we see it. So I guess I keep sliding into making perception and, and our understanding kind of pretty very close. Yeah, sorry. Just to share an insight, a non, a non insight that I had this morning. I, just, I looked around and I just thought, these are all Zen Buddhist trees. <laughs> Zen Buddhist <laughs> trees? But they're not non Christian trees. Mm -hmm. They're not one, but they're not two. Mm -hmm. They're not, what was the last thing? They're not one, but they're not two. Yeah, they're not one. And I want to spin off on that. Um, uh, in Purik, when I was sitting, uh, it's a Christian Buddhist place um, in Austria. And we, have, we had somebody come who was very strong um, doing the heart uh, prayer practitioner. And she came to the center that had already been there for 10 years, where a lot of uh, heart sutra was being chanted. And she said she couldn't do her heart mantra, the Jesus mantra, because the place was kind of like invibed <laughs> with uh, the, the teachings of the Zen, teachings of the Heart Sutra. And so it was kind of for her an invitation to be like, are this different or are this the same? Not one or two. Yeah, totally.
illusions. So illusions, again, is kind of very close to the trick of the eye. Um, trick of the eye being way more, um, either your physical eye um, has some change that change the perception, so either clouded or seeing things as yellow, or the outer circumstances are such that your perception sees um, a mirage or a rainbow or something. And illusions, that's maybe what we already have touched on, so we can go fast to it, is kind of this, you know, rope. Oh, uh, uh, it, is it a snake or, or what? Is it a rope? What is it? You know, kind of, these kind of not knowing, these moments of not knowing. Um, but sometimes, uh, well, we, we get to it. Bubble of water. Um, bubbles of water is also just like the very fast coming through and uh, happening through air. Like, you know, you see it at the creek side, you know, like the flow of the creek just producing bubbles dependent. Like it's, it's again like the point that it's outer conditions and maybe just outer conditions that make a thing happen, you know, like a bubble over water. Um, doesn't happen all the time. Sometimes the creek is so slow, there's no bubbles. So it's again of like, how much are we based on our circumstances? And um, I sometimes wonder that particularly, so I'm working as a chaplain and um, I'm talking with people. And one of uh, my main training point was to talk with them in a way uh, that I'm not imposing myself on them, but really let them discover their own wisdom. And that's where I'm really noticing of how much we can help each other um, being that reflector rather than being um, like, and, and, and you know, it's dependent on what's needed in a conversation um, and what's possible. Like, um, while it would be very, very interesting for me to talk with each one of you, it's not possible right now to do in three hours. So it's kind of that's how we set it up. So I'm just saying, you know, we choose different ways of interacting um, on what's needed and what's most helpful. And, and that's again, because the conditions have something, their conditions are helping what's happening. Like if you want to have a really heartfelt conversation, you don't do it between doors kind of counterproductive. You're going to want to sit down, you know. So things like that. So uh, um, bubbles of water, we are creating, we're co-creating events. Mm -hmm. uh, so like dreams, um, I found that a lot and I really have been benefiting a lot myself through the reminder how dream, uh, how our life already is like a dream. Um, like, so you're from Santa Barbara right now, you're here in the Santa Cruz Mountain, you will be back in Santa Barbara. How dreamlike is that? You know, how dreamlike is that change, that sudden, now you're at a gas station, now you're in a car, now you're at a familiar place, you're in an unfamiliar place. It's just very, very like odd. And if you're like an active dreamer, you might know that in the dream, of course you're right now at the ocean, next moment you're in the middle of a city. And it just, Totally normal. <laughs> You're not questioning it, 
But when you wake up, you're like, how did that happen? <laughs> you know, it's just kind of weird, you know. So dreams are like definitely a wonderful example of looking at our life from a little broader perspective of like, whoa, this is fascinating. You know, it's a big show. It's a big show. And that um, also very close to um, well, the other example, and that's maybe why I wrap it up, lightning and clouds uh, are both, again, like this coming flashing and disintegrating and how often that happening in our life, either with for material things to relationships to animals, um, as well as just circumstances and events, including our own life from birth to death, just going like flash, feels like a flash, time being just like this rushing, um, unreal thing that's like sometimes an hour feels like really long and sometimes an hour is really short. So that kind of very dynamic play of time. Uh, dreams again is just kind of this amazing thing of how places transform um, in and of itself and how we transform um, in and of ourselves. And in this way, I feel like dreams is a good, um, if there's nothing, not much to hold on to on this teaching, the dream is a good one to hold on to because it can be applied. Um, it can be the most easily seen, let's say it like that, in your experience. And um, one thing that has helped me um, when I was in a very busy work life and I downloaded an app, it's called um, an application, phone application, that's called the Bodhgaya Finder. <laughs> and it's called Bodhgaya Finder. Bodhgaya Finder, yeah. So Bodhgaya is the seat of Shakyamuni Buddha's awakening. And this app is called Bodhgaya Finder. And what it does, it like sends three times a day a message to you that this is just a dream. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really helpful if you get these messages in the middle of who knows what you're doing and your phone is telling you this is just a dream. It really works. I really recommend it. <laughs> so, do you, anything that you missed because I might have spoken too fast or anything? To no, mm -hmm. but um, I still kind of going around and around on this idea of wishes. Uh -huh. And the way you express it, it's as though a wish is an okay thing. Mm -hmm. And yet, we are to understand suffering means that we don't get all of our wishes. Mm -hmm. So can you talk more about the benefit or what happens when we wish? Yeah, yeah. Again, I think wish is a very um, conditioned event. <laughs> so based on which place we are at in our wishes, um, we are, um, the outcome of it is going to be suffering or happiness. And um, so if we, um, for example, are in traffic and we really want to badly get to another place, <laughs> and we just have a lot of slow people right in front of us, <laughs> our wish uh, is going to bring us a lot of suffering if we keep holding on to needing to be at this other place in a very fast time. Um, so the conditions don't support our wish, basically. Um, however, if um, 
you feel really open and spacious and you feel like the people I'm going to meet, they're going to totally understand, I'm going to be late. <laughs> and, um, and they're very forgiving people. In fact, they have been late a whole bunch of too. <laughs> so they really understand me and I don't feel any threat in my environment. Then there's like kind of a place of openness. Then in fact, if you love what you're doing and you feel like, wow, in fact, I see that other people around me, they're really like needing to go somewhere too because they're like cutting me all the time. <laughs> um, then you feel like, I understand what they are. They might be like in as much pain as I am. So you like go to another layer of your wishes where you like, well, not only I want to go to another place, I want them and everybody else around me to go to a good place too and get there safely without an accident. So it's just kind of, you still have your wish, but you're in a more like open-minded space about it. Um, and then if you like add this teaching to it to be like, it's a dream, what does it really matter? You know, like I'm here, right here, I'm so far safe, I know what I'm doing and I'm clear and I wish everybody around me is going to be clear, then kind of this, this can be kind of a sense of clarity that, um, that doesn't diminish the fact that you still want to go there. It doesn't diminish the fact that you have a lot of wishes for everybody, but it kind of puts it in a, um, in a perspective that makes you just really happy. And it's just so much joy and just this amazing thing that's happening of us wanting to go places, you know, it's just like, it feels kind of cute and sweet and, and, and you just have a lot of compassion for it. And you know, it might not happen, <laughs> you know, death is real, car accidents are real. And you, you know, think it's still the most joyful thing that's happening. In the the background of that, I think, uh, when, you make a, when you make a wish, uh, or when you have a wish, or we have a sense of um, intention, um, the actual activity of making a wish is the acknowledgement of what you were talking about before, that things are transitory, that they're change, that they're variable, mm -hmm. that, nothing's, that nothing's for certain. Um, it, might involve, it might involve your... Um, intent for something favorable to happen, but it also acknowledges the fact that something unfavorable might happen as well. So you actually acknowledge the, the mutability of all mm. phenomena, you know, and um, so you're actually confirming what you mm -hmm. talked about before as well. Yeah. I love mutability. That's a beautiful word. <laughs> yeah. Does that want to say more about that? Uh, uh, <laughs> Mutability. That that um, you know the, the, the one of the truths of the teachings is the transitoriness of all mm -hmm. existence. You mm -hmm. know, so we're actually with a wish. Besides the energy or intention for a favorable outcome, we're actually acknowledging that everything's changing mm -hmm. and that we're vulnerable. And that we um, we're not we're fundamentally not in control, you know. That it's a mutual um, that the regularity of the dharmas and and the mutability of all phenomena um, create this um, changeable world, and that we're 
conditioned, right? As you said, mm -hmm. conditioned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It struck me that when, when we in our practice say, may all beings be happy, may they be free of suffering, it's not exactly what we would ordinarily understand as a wish, but it does, I think, as Mike say, set an intention. Mm -hmm. Because I think sometimes people misunderstand it as a prayer and that we're asking Buddha as a god mm -hmm. to miraculously intervene and end suffering. Mm -hmm. but that's that's not part of this tradition, as far as I understand it. Mm -hmm. We're not, in any sense, wishing that, that that some miraculous thing will cause all conditions to line up. Um, we don't expect that, but we um, we do, in part, it's, it's meritorious because we are setting our intention and uh, towards uh, training ourselves to be aware of efforts that we can make to help that come about. Um, so I think there's an interesting way in which it's not unwishing for the well-being of other sentient beings. It's not quite the same as where we usually wish on a star or wish for a raise or mm -hmm. a new pair of shoes or whatever it is that we're wishing for. I think, um, I think you got 80%. Um, I want to stop you. <laughs> I think you got 80%. But um, I'm not sure about, um, I think many ways we are wanting to separate us from our old ways. That's what many of us, none of us is Asian, oh, how many Asians are here? I mean, very little uh, Asian, Asian people, I don't know. Sorry, I don't want to generalize here, but most of us didn't grow up Buddhist. Yeah, is that kind of? So we got here somehow, having had a different exposure, different tradition. So we do want to separate us from that because we are starting a new habit. So I understand you're saying, oh no, we are not like that because we're just trying, you know, we're making a new step. However, I'm not sure how many people we have been to Asia and have been in Buddhist countries. Okay, some of you, okay. Um, our tradition loves to pray to Buddhas, and our tradition is asking Buddhas to act on our behalf because we are very ignorant. So that acknowledgement of our ignorance is very, very important. Particularly one incidence or one circumstance I want to bring up, and that I'm saying 80%, I think there's just 20% here of, what about climate change? Anybody having any particular response to climate change? Is that something that we feel like we gotta address? I think it's happening, right? Do we think we, our intellectual mind, can figure it out? I don't think so. I think most of us know that our intellectual mind is not able to figure out climate change at this point. We are trying, we are like really working on it. I think, you know, we hope that changing political circumstances and, you know, getting off carbon, there's effort. And I think that's important. You know, just like if your neighbor is sick, you know the remedies, you apply the remedies. Do you still wish your neighbor to survive it? Of course. Do you try everything to save them? Yes, you do. Is it going to live or die? We don't know. We don't. We can't figure it out. Where are we going to turn to? Ultimately, I feel what we're turning to most of the time intuitively, intellectually, and emotionally and spiritually is to something that's larger than us. It's kind of the deep surrender. Yeah. And that's really important, that we keep reminding ourselves surrendering. 
does it look like from outside? Maybe like Christian or Hindus or anybody is doing it? Maybe. It doesn't matter. It's a matter about how we internally do it. Yeah. And that's why kind of like differentiating between different schools and traditions is important for us initially on our path, but later on it doesn't really matter. It really matters what, how we internally do it. And if you want to say something in addition to it, please do. Yeah. I was just thinking about the wish, not to be to wish to death, but that it's really the idea of imagining that the world, as Norman Fisher says, the world could be otherwise. Mm -hmm. And I think it's not about belief, but imagining. And I think we all want the world to be better. Mm. And that's an act of um, kind of a leap of imagination as opposed to wishing or belief. Right. Do you understand? Yes, yes, totally. And I think in many ways it has to do with our uh, language. I feel like in many ways we are um, stuck in a language that is grown very dualistically. I think our language has been trained, has been worked over very dualistically, and now we're picking this very thing up that's non-dual. How is that going to fit in? You know, we have love and hate. You know, we have like wishing and not wishing. You know, it's like we keep kind of being stuck in this very dualistic conundrum, but if you look like again to our Asian forefathers, those languages are just like, they have 500 words for love, you know, and they have like so many words, like the snow people have so many words for, you know, snow, because that's what you're engaging. If you look at your mind, you need more words than just mind, you know, just mind alone doesn't work, you know, consciousness alone doesn't work. There's more subtlety going on there than those hammer words, you know, those very big words. Are you wanting to say something? Yeah. No. I was thinking of uh, uh, the Sanskrit language, yeah. how uh, all of the sounds within that language are there to uh, uplift, to uh, harmonize uh, the uh, individual self with the, uh, the larger. Mm -hmm. And uh, we all have this soothing, powerful humming mm -hmm. sound, whereas our language is... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we definitely need to open up to a lot. And I think it, can, it will come naturally through insight. So just some hands-on things. Um, I think there's one, one very easy agree-upon thing is, yes, things are per impermanent. Um, things are just falling apart. You know, there's a certain um, perception that we can share the talking and understanding and shift of, you know, our knowing. I can understand why the Buddha also said, nobody's going to ever understand it if you don't meditate. So meditation is the beginning. So what's happening in meditation? You know, because I feel like many of these things you can just learn through just going into nature. You know, nature is an amazing teacher. Nature is this power that's just showing us where our place is, you know, it's just kind of, it's very beautiful in nature, there's a lot in nature there for us to learn. Um, but one thing uh, that meditation really does, it, it brings it home. It has that sense of um, turning the light around, kind of these things, uh, it's teaching it, you heard very practically how I want to put it today. It's there's an awareness that we all share. <laughs> could say maybe the same awareness, different awareness, maybe a big discussion, but there's an awareness. And you see this awareness um, every moment. It's like there. It's just 
no matter what. And the way you kind of kind of unravel it and uncover it is by asking yourself, you know, is awareness present? Is it here? Like keep asking, like keep asking yourself, is there some, like who is aware here? You know, what is, like the other way is what is mind? You know, like having that curiosity to be like, okay, I keep looking at stars, kind of like tricks of the eye that constantly keeps happening. Things are moving. What's that that's not moving? What's that that's already complete? What's that that doesn't need any improvement? What's, what's here, what's present with us that's equal? I love mutability, that kind of, that has one taste. You know, there's all these pointers. And, and, and again, that's how we are, need to learn our English language, like coming from experience, where we can help each other. You know, we really need to help each other because, um, because we get stuck in these fixations of, oh, look at this beautiful star, oh, look at this beautiful bubble. You know, we just keep really getting stuck and focused and fixated on these things. And at the same time, how do you know, turn it around, how to let that go and find that awareness, like um, being within ourselves that can have life and birth and death happen. It can just let it happen. And um, in a great honesty, in the greatest honesty, where you are touched by it, you are moved by it, and you can let it happen at the same time. And, and I feel like it's right there within um, the awareness of impermanence, like in the awareness of love and in the awareness of stillness. So I feel our practice life, much encouragement to that, and thank you for all of you doing it, um, has that potential where um, we can find that which is going to transcend death. Um, and yes, do we need its help? Yes, we definitely do. You know, We need any support of the environment for us to see that. Um, I'm not sure how many few minutes we have. Four or five minutes. Four or five minutes. Any last questions, comments, anything? Mm-hmm. You said this, and you were going to talk about the Diamond Sutra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fooled we are, right? Zen talk and Diamond Sutra and all these words. <laughs> yeah. I think in many ways it's um, that which happened at the time of uh, death of the Buddha when he really like, is there anything else to be said? And the students were just like so. It's beautiful. Think in the face of impermanence, and uh, there's there's a lot of um, self-explanatory. That's why I heard and think that our death. I wish it all, for all of us have a good death, because it can be a very transformative moment. Again, about the dream. It's very important what you dream just prior to 
you go to sleep, what you do, that's going to definitely influence your dream. And um, same as death, so anything prior to your moment of death is going to definitely influence uh, what's happening after, if you believe it or not, <laughs> whatever is, um, however it's unfolding, or just if your process of dying, how that's unfolding. So, you know, living, finding your way right now of being with these um, continuously evolving events, um, finding the most peace with it, you know. And again, the most helpful aspect is surround yourself with love. Like the sweet song of give yourself to love, if that's what you're after. Yeah, got to do that. And I think this is a beautiful place to definitely do that. Thank you so much for coming. And um, please take good care of yourself. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by Jokoji Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information about Jokoji, please visit us on the web at jokoji.org.